What will it take for us to realize the world we long for, that we want, that we want to live in? One where everyone is loved and treasured, where no one is forgotten, no one's discarded, where people actually live together in peace and harmony. Christmas is the time when we remind ourselves of that world we hope for. And it's also the time we admit that we already know what it takes. Welcome to Sermons for a Critical Faith, the ministry of First Presbyterian Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm Pastor Sue Collar, I'm the lead pastor here. This month we've been looking at the main players in the Christmas story. We're uh, seeing what they had to bring to the story, see how they kind of help things along. And today we're gonna spend some time with Mary and Elizabeth, two unlikely mothers who model for us the answer to our question, what will it take? Let's hear their story and let's talk about it. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter one, verses 39 through 55. Let us pray. God of all, we are a mixed bag of distracted and forlorn, eager and anxious. We hope that you might move through the obstacle course we build up around our hearts, made out of questions and defenses, and douse us in good news. For at the end of the day, all we want is to know that we are not alone, that you are always near. So knock on our door, sweet talk, the guard dog we place in front of our vulnerable hearts, and come right in. Make yourself at home. Pull us close and tell us your story of unbelievable good news. We are listening. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt, leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the loneliness of God's servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with God's arm, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from their thrones. 
and lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy, according to the promise made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Friends, a word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. So I have to admit, I have never spent much time with this meeting between Elizabeth and Mary. Instead, I tend to focus on Mary's song because it's quite an inspirational song that she sings. She sings about God's justice on behalf of everyone. She sings about how those who have suffered unjustly at the hands of others would be lifted up. It stirs my soul because I want to live in the world that she sings about. I want to live in that world where everybody has what they need, where everyone is honored and loved, where no one is shot for the color of their skin or considered a sinner because of who they love. No one has to work two, three, and four jobs just to put food on the table. I want to live in a world where people encourage each other instead of tearing each other down. So I love Mary's song. I'm inspired by her song. It's a bold declaration to whoever will listen that God is at work. But it's that meeting between Mary and Elizabeth that holds the key to that vision becoming a reality. So let's back up a bit. Luke tells us that Mary went with haste to see Elizabeth. Mary was not told to go find her. She was just said, hey, and your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. Mary sought her out. But the word that we heard read, that she went with haste, isn't necessarily what the Scripture says. The word that is often translated haste or, or in a hurry can actually mean that she was anxious or unsettled, which I have to imagine she was. Her whole world had just been turned upside down. And I have to imagine she didn't know what to think or what to do. So maybe Elizabeth, who also had an unexpected pregnancy that involved an angel, could help her make sense of what she was going through and what was happening to her. But I think there was also another real practical reason that Mary went to go find Elizabeth. And she may not have gone with excitement, but with trepidation. You see, Mary probably, or at least had every right to expect, Elizabeth to look on her with shame. I mean, after all, think of why else Mary might have left town to visit a relative while she was pregnant. Even though Joseph didn't break off their engagement, their marriage, her pregnancy would indicate to everyone that she had dishonored herself, she had dishonored her family, and she had dishonored Joseph. It was a mark of shame on her and her family. And what used to happen even in our own society not that long ago when a young girl found herself pregnant out of wedlock? She was sent off to some distant place to live with relatives until she gave birth to hide her pregnancy. I don't know if that's why Mary went to go see Elizabeth, but it's certainly a possibility. She certainly wasn't guaranteed a warm welcome when she got there. 
But as soon as she did get there, and this is the good part of the story, Elizabeth brushed aside all of that shame talk, all of those old tapes that said, this is bad, you have to hide her away. And she burst out, blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And I have to imagine Mary just melted at that point because she knew she was safe. The question for us is, what was behind Elizabeth's reaction? It could simply be compassion that she had, you know, welcoming Mary in this difficult time. She knew what an unexpected pregnancy could do. And that should be enough for her to have welcomed Mary in this manner. However, in this case, it was also the Holy Spirit who helped Elizabeth recognize that the child Mary was carrying wasn't any ordinary child. In fact, the child in Elizabeth's own womb, who would grow up to be John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus, leaped with joy when he recognized the divine in Mary's womb. And that's the key to Mary's song. You see, Mary announced a new world, a revolution, an economic revolution where everyone had everything they needed. They enjoyed the fruits of their own labor. She announced a moral revolution where pride is unseated with humility and a social revolution where those at the bottom are lifted up, those at the margins are given places of honor. Basically a world where everyone is treated with love and respect. No one hoards at the expense of others. That's the world Mary saw breaking in. But how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen with the snap of God's fingers. Would have happened by now if that would have been the case. How are we going to get that world that Mary saw coming with the birth of her child? And I think Elizabeth is the key because we are only going to achieve that world when we recognize the holy in each other when we see God in each other. Not just in those we like, but in those we look, don't like, and those we look down on, and those we are tempted to shame, and in those we despise. Remember the book of Genesis? In the beginning, God created. How were we created? We were made in the image of God. And how did we get our life? God's Spirit breathed life, God's life into us. It is only when we recognize that in each other, only when we can celebrate that in each other, that the world we pray for and the world we want, the world we long for, can come about. We have to be looking for that. Because when we aren't looking for that, when we deny that image of God in each other, that's when we see people as obstacles to get around or tools to be used to get what we want, but not as people. And that's kind of why we are the way we are right now in this world. We see people as obstacles and tools. We're actually really good at coming up with reasons not to see that divine spark in each other. They committed some unforgivable sin. They disagreed with us on something that we think is vital. They don't 
look like us or talk like us or play like us or celebrate like us, which of course really says more about us than it does about them. How in the world can we look for the divine spark in someone and treat them as less than us? How can we say we're looking for God in someone and then treat that person as not deserving of mercy or justice or love? If we're all made in the image of God, and if it is God's very breath that gives us life, then to treat someone as less than us or as flawed or as not worthy or an inconvenience or an obstacle is to say that God is less than us and not worthy of us and an inconvenience and an obstacle. Now, the reality is, is that it is sometimes hard to see the image of God in other people. Sometimes it's because of our own baggage. Maybe we have had our trust broken. Maybe we have um, been hurt by someone or been betrayed. And it's hard to set that aside when we meet someone and just operate from that viewpoint that this person is worthy of, of trust. This person is, is of God. We want to make them prove they're worthy of it before we, we give them our trust because our trust has been broken. So sometimes our own baggage gets in the way of us seeing that image of God in others. And sometimes it's the baggage of that other person, to be completely honest. Sometimes their own baggage blurs the image of God in them. If someone's life has shaped them to be chronically angry all the time, then let's be honest, it's hard to love someone who's angry all the time. It can be hard to love them. We may not want to look that deeply for the image of God in them, or we may discount them. Or if their choices in life don't match what we think is good and right, we may discard them. We may not look for that holy in them. And of course, again, that's why we have the world that we do. When Elizabeth saw Mary, Luke says she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what helped her recognize the holy in Mary. Not just in Mary's womb, a child of questionable origins, but in Mary herself. Because Elizabeth didn't say, Jesus, you are blessed. She said, Mary, the out-of-wedlock pregnant girl who was probably scared and unsure, was blessed. So I think sometimes we need to ask for God's help to see be, uh, past the, the gunk and the baggage that we carry and that they carry to see God and to see the new things that God is bringing about. Of course, this gets more complicated if you don't want to see the image of God in the other person. And I'll be honest, I have a few people on that list for myself. Some of them run for office. <laughs> Some of them are in my own family. It is hard to look past betrayals, narcissistic personalities, or even chronic annoyances and say, I see God in you, I see Christ in you, and you are blessed. But isn't that what we're called to do? To look beyond that surface 
set aside our own prejudices and see everyone as a beloved child of God? Isn't that what following Christ means? Part of what it means to follow Christ is to look for the good in someone, especially when no one else is seeing it, to recognize the hurt that they or us carry that may cloud that image of God in them. Following Christ means brushing off that dirt, cleaning off that mud, so that God's light can shine. It's hard. I know that. When you find yourself instinctively judging someone, step back and ask, what in them would Jesus love? What in them would Jesus need to touch and heal? Or maybe you need to ask, what in me triggers that instinct to judge and discount them? Maybe we're the ones who need the healing. Because that world that Mary sang about, the one we're praying for every single week, every single day, it's only going to come about when our hearts are changed and when we have learned to look for and see the holy and even the worst example of humanity. That holy may be buried underneath a lot of pain and a lot of damage, may be disguised as arrogance and hostility, but it's there because we all have that divine spark in us. When we're able to look for that and we're finally able to see God in each other, God can do amazing things. The discarded will be lifted up and given places of honor. The hungry will not just be fed with food but with dignity. The rich will be humbled, which in the best sense of the word doesn't mean that they are down on the ground to be trampled on. It means that they have been moved to the place where sharing is a part of what they do. And the powerless will discover that God does God's best work through those the world considers weak and worthless, like Mary and like them. So when we're able to see God in each other, God can do amazing things, and this world can be healed. Isn't that the real promise of Christmas? It's not about a baby in a manger. It's about the world that we pray for. God is among us, and even the most ordinary and invisible people, and God can be found most powerfully, not in the halls of power, but in the hovels where life has been trampled and thrown out. What if we look for God in those places and in those people? And what if we celebrated what God was doing through those whom we least expect God to be with? So who do you struggle to love? Who do you discard and who do you discount? Can you set aside that instinct to judge and look for signs of God in them? Are you willing to look past whatever they've done to hurt or offend you and pray for their healing and yours so that God's image can shine through the cracks? We don't know for sure what that conversation was between Mary and Elizabeth, but I believe that Elizabeth 
with her faith and her willingness to look beyond the surface of Mary's condition, was able to encourage Mary and help her to find the strength and the courage she needed to go back home and face her critics, because you knew they were going to be there, and embrace that new path that God had put her on. In doing so, Elizabeth helped God's light shine through Mary. So what if you did that for somebody? Isn't that the best gift you can give this Christmas? In your bulletin, there's an affirmation of faith. It's not so much an affirmation of faith in God, but faith in our connection to each other and in the presence of God in each one of us. Let us say that together, and as we say it, may we make this commitment to live into that affirmation as our gift to all those around us. Let us say together, we believe that creation is inextricably linked. <laughs> we belong to one another in an undeniable way. We are bone of bone and flesh of flesh, life breathed into dust. We believe that God invites us to live into that truth, to love without abandon, to see the good in one another, to trust that all belong to God. We know that this life of connection is easier said than done, which is why we gather in this space week after week, generation after generation, to be reminded we see God in each other. This we believe. Amen. As we look for the image of God in each other, let us look for the image of God incarnate in Christ, and let us look for that future that God has promised. Thanks for joining us at First Presbyterian Church, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org.